Okay, guys, welcome to um, what I think might be our 20th Dojo Universe show. Uh, today we're going to start by listening to a song um, by the Mumford & Sons, which is from their new album. And uh, it involves a collaboration with Jerry Douglas, who's a, a famous folk musician who many of you may have heard about, um, as well as Paul Simon. They perform with them on this. And I think it's a great tune, and it's definitely um, – we've had it playing all week here at the Dojo, so – uh, we thought we'd share it with you, and then we'll get on to some uh, usual Dojo U topics. So um, while people finish signing in, we'll get started with this, uh, and it'll be interesting to hear what your thoughts are on it. Well, I am just a poor boy, though my story's seldom told. I've squandered my resistance. For a pocket full of mumbles, such are promises All lies and jest, still the man hears what he wants to hear And disregards the rest When I left my home and my family I was no more than a boy In the company of strangers In the quiet of the railway stations Running scared, laying low, seeking out the poor quarters where the ragged people go looking for the places only they would know. Well, lie to lie, 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 lie Asking only workmen's wages, I come looking for a job, but I get no offers. Just to come on from the whores on 7th Avenue I do declare there were times when I was so lonesome I took some comfort there And I'm laying out my winter clothes And wishing I was home going home Where the New York City winters aren't bleeding a boxer and a fighter by his trade and he carries the reminder of every glove that laid him down and caught him till he cried out in his anger and his shame I am leaving, I am leaving but the fighter still remains well,
Great. Well, that was um, uh, Mumford & Sons, who are a really cool band. It's one of my favorite bands since I heard their first album, which is called Sigh No More, which is uh, they sort of um, uh, it's a sort of fusion of folk style and and a sort of I wouldn't call it pop music so much, but um, it's kind of like a fusion of ideas. And they're extremely dynamic band, too. Um, you know, a huge dynamic range and, and they're using traditional folk instruments and it's just really, really cool. And their new album came out on my birthday. I asked them to uh, release it on my birthday, so they did. And, uh, <laughs> it's so good of them to oblige, too. Yeah, well, you know, I was, I was like, hey, Mumford, you know, help me out. <laughs> and uh, so, so they did that, which was nice. And they, um, <laughs> I cracked myself up. What was I trying to say? Uh, and well, and this is one of the extras. So this isn't part of the album proper. It's a few extra tracks at the end where, um, you know, oh, really? they, wow. yeah, they did a collaboration. Uh, that being said, um, their album is phenomenal. It's so good. Uh, I know Mike cool. Shoppy's out there and he can attest to that too. We, we haven't been able to turn it off all week. So, Excellent. Um, and it was cool to see Jerry Douglas in there. So we were like, Hey, why don't we play it on, uh, dojo universe so that's good you can't go wrong with a good uh you know paul simon simon Garfunkel tune that's for sure yeah and i andrea i totally agree with you you know uh, everyone sort of can identify with that song in some way and um, it's it's just uh i don't know it's just as as uh if you've heard the simon and garfunkel version it's also like you know incredible it's just really good so yeah it's just amazing a lot a lot of bands just don't like, you know, they're so easy to, everybody loves them, you know, and it's university, universally, and you talk to other bands, and but no one, everyone sort of shies away from covering the tunes, you know, because it's just so, they're so good <laughs> from their source that you really don't want to mess around with it, you know? Yep. And I'm, very uh, few I'm do, do them justice, you know? Yeah, so it's kind of cool. It's interesting to sort of think of, it's interesting to think of uh popular music becoming folk repertoire isn't it because it's sort of if anything you would say okay pop music generally speaking has been influenced by folk music you know in, in various ways and but now it's like kind of coming around the other way where where now uh folk artists get together and they say hey let's cover the boxer you know oh yeah sure uh, which you know so it's kind of like trading places again and it's all coming together i i love that about the world of music I think it's amazing. It's 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 not uh, in nice, neat little boxes anymore. Oh yeah, and, and you know, and it, and it takes all this sort of what we you know what you could call commercial music, right? And just sort of gives it new meaning, throws it into the you know, gives it new significance, you know, to the to the culture, which is what good folk music is. You know, it's very very meaningful and and has a, a lot of relevance to a lot of different people at different times. You know. Yeah, exactly. It's so expressive. I love. Uh, just conceptually, I love I love bluegrass and folk music and and uh, Celtic music too. I mean, it's it's uh, so expressive, and, and you can really, if you choose to, you can really get a lot out of listening to music like that. So, um, so it's pretty cool. Um, so, Vin, what's up this week? Anything good? What's up this week? Well, I I see, I see you posted you were uh, you were out of town celebrating uh, the the end of your twenties. <laughs> no, the end of my mid twenties. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, let's not confuse that. <laughs> No, you uh, haven't heard the big whooshing sound that you hear when they finally go away, I guess. Yeah, well, the way I look at it is, you know, you're in your early 20s until about 23. And then when you hit 24, you're in your mid-20s. But then uh, as 
when I hit 28, as I did on Monday, the uh, sad realization comes to mind that, uh, you know, I can no longer say I'm in my mid twenties. <laughs> I feel for you. Maybe. <laughs> All right. You get over Carl's it fast. Telling me I have to turn on my video. <laughs> I'm turning it on. Yep, there's a look of a, a late 20s right there. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh huh. So, um, so Vin, we were kind of dry for inspiration this week. So I decided to do something that I've been thinking about doing for a while, which was, uh, which was, I'm gonna take, uh, you know, the Zen Zen quotes are always like really deep and meaningful, and uh, my thought that I originally had was I was going to, I was gonna take a Zen quote. And I was going to secretly start teaching along the lines of that quote without really revealing what the quote was. Um, but I haven't really had the guts to start doing that yet. And I might still do it, but I haven't. Um, but anyway, I have a few. Uh, we'll at least get started here today and we'll see where it takes us. But my idea is going to be I'm going to throw out a Zen quote to you. And I want to I want to sort of riff on it. I want to I want to see if. If we can learn from Zen masters, and so Zen we got to like throw it, throw it, throw it into bagpiping and sort of figure out how we uh, how we work it. Yes, exactly. So, so the first one um, that I put in the newsletter today is here's the first one, and I want you to go, just go with it. So it's kind of like improv day today at Dojo Universe. So here it is: when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. That's Zen quote number one. And feel free, everybody out there, I'd love to hear your thoughts too. If you want to come in and um, on the microphone, just use the raise your hand button. But uh, then your first challenge is yeah. when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Yeah, I, you know, it's, we all, it's, bagpiping is pretty self-directed, right? We, we, we go out and we seek out instruction um, where we need it, uh, where we think we need it. Um, but a lot of times we don't, really get much out of it do we sometimes for the most you know for a lot of, in a lot of ways like we think progress is slow or we don't really get the full value of whatever instruction we're getting but so it calls into it calls into question the readiness are you ready really for this instruction right is, this, is your teacher really appearing or what you need to be taught i i look at the teacher as more of a you know sort of a, an amorphous not an actual figure or person more of a you know i don't know an approach, a philosophy, a, a, a body of learning, or something. So, if you're ready for it, that's the question. How how do you be ready? You know, yeah. what makes you ready for the instruction? Or here's one: like, have you ever have you ever met a piper who has a teacher, but they're clearly not getting the idea, and they're clearly not really understanding what their teacher is trying to say? Oh yeah, yeah, you hear it I a know, lot. I, I've seen that so many times coming up and playing pipes and. Uh, you know, people have their teacher, and 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 they they play in such a way that you know it's not really what the teacher is trying mm -hmm. to is trying to get across, and it's kind of like, you know, maybe that student isn't really ready to, you know, to hear what what's actually being put forward. Exactly, uh, exactly. I think, and, and that's not to say that you know you'll you'll start progressing when you're ready. I think it's a lot of times it becomes a it's a mindset it's a it's a frame of mind that you have to have for yourself to be able to get what you need out of it. Yeah, um, Andrea. So here things start to make that. sense, you know. Yeah, Andrea is saying here the student needs to have an internal awareness of the end goal, which mm -hmm. I think is kind of what you're saying, right? Is yeah. is the uh, you know 
the student has to really want to learn and uh, has to want to, you know, has to really want to soak in. I, I could tell a story when I was in music school, when I went to SFU, um, I studied with a very famous electroacoustic musician, which basically means they made music by, you know, manipulating tape and other sort of digital things. And a very famous guy named Barry Truax, who uh, was one of my favorite professors. But in the beginning, I was very resistant to uh, to taking his advice and trying what he was saying. You know, I was very convinced that I had my own thing that I was going to do. And, uh, you know, and so I did it for a while. And sure enough, he didn't give me particularly good grades. Uh, and, uh, un well, fortunately, but it seemed unfortunate at the time, I was stuck with him, right? I had more classes I had to take with him. So eventually I was like, you know what? Let's just try what he's saying. And it was a it was a conclusion I came to on my own, and mm. uh, and sure enough I tried it and uh, my music really grew as a result, and mm. you know trying what my teacher was telling me wasn't uh, it wasn't destructive to my voice. I think that's I think a lot of us are kind of like concerned with that. You know, like I don't want to sell out, man. I don't just want to do exactly what everyone tells me. But yeah, yeah. that's not what it, that's not what really happens. What happens is you experience things, you know, from from what their experiences were, and you gain knowledge and your own experience, which just um, uh, matures is such a terrible word, but it it um, it sort of gives more perspective to your own voice. Mm -hmm. Well, you you integrate it, I think, is is, is the key yeah. word there. Like you, you take it and you, you know, and, and it depends on where you are in the stage. You know, the, if you're just learning, um, and you really have no idea you know, what all this bagpiping music stuff is all about. That's sort of a stage, you know, that, that you know, people can't help but listen to their teacher at that point, you know, because so, they're the ones that are telling them what to do, and I don't know any better, so I'm going to do it with the way, what they're telling me. Um, sometimes that works, sometimes not. I think even in the very beginning stages, you really have to have a sort of a clear idea of what you're shooting for. I mean, why, why bother learning the pipes in the first place? You know, it's because maybe you heard a lot of great piping and it inspired you, and you said, "Wow, I want to do, I want to do that." You yeah. Know? Um, so right. that's in your mind already. So already you go into into the sort of the uh, the teaching with an idea of where you really think you might want to be. Um, yeah, and, and a lot of times, and a lot of times you find your teacher. Uh, a lot of times your teacher is something totally different than what you thought it was. You know, mm -hmm. like. Um, uh, sometimes you look back and you say, well, wait a minute, I was actually teaching myself or, or just exposing myself to certain things, you know, really took the place of having a, a formal teacher or something like that. So anyway, let me read this comment out. Beth, Beth Millett, says she was ready and Dojo you appeared. Awesome. <laughs> um, speaks to the student's desire to learn. Goes to the value of this online university. Uh, I may be a willing, ready, eager student, but my work schedule doesn't always sync with the best instruction. So while I take advantage of in-person instruction as much as possible, I was thrilled to discover Dojo U. Huh. It's almost as if we planted Beth here to say that very thing. That certainly <laughs> comes to my mind. Who's behind this? Well, and, and there it was. She was ready, and there it was. It was on Google, you know? Google is like the ultimate uh, serendipity machine. <laughs> she swears she's not a plant or a vegetable. All right, Beth. Well, because you swear you did earn that extra 50 bucks I offered you. So um, I will... Uh, well, I mean, you know, and and she she makes brings up a good point when you say you you know bring up that idea of readiness. You know, when you're ready, when the student is ready. You know, what do you do when you're ready? 
in this, you know, sort of bagpiping thing. You start looking around, you start listening to different things, you start talking to people, you start, you know, exploring different options. Um, and sure enough, you know, there's your, there's your solution. You know, one will always sort of jump out and say, you know, this is what you need. And you just connect, you know. Okay. Well, let's not make this topic stale. Let me find another one. All right. So the other one, the other one in the in the memo was this one. Okay. Before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. That's good. That's good. Here I will. Uh, I will also send it into the chat because it's easier to sort of read. But. All right. So I think what we should do is we should invite Mr. Donnelly on today. Uh, to to riff a little bit on this deep and meaningful Zen quotation. Hmm. I I mean I think the basic here in, in, in bagpiping is, you know, we work so hard on um, some of the fundamentals, and eventually uh, we're going to get the the concept, uh, if you will. It's not about sorry. Um, it's it's not really about C doublings or D doublings or you know D throws getting better when you're improving. Uh, it's more about the bigger picture. But even once we achieve that bigger picture, um, we're still going to be working on, on the small things, uh, you know, the doublings and the embellishments. Um, it never really goes away. It's full circle. Uh, yeah. You just there's have a, a greater a, understanding. Yeah, there's a Zen Cohen, which is a lot of these quotes called Cohen's, and there's one that says, "Not if you remember it." Been known when alone, this. when alone, when alone, behave as if with an honored guest. When with an honored guest, behave as if alone. So, what what does that mean? It's the same kind of idea. Yeah. So it's the same. It's the same. Uh, the idea is that the, the, what you're what you're doing really doesn't change. What what you're doing. You know, where it's like you're learning all this new stuff, it's all pouring into your head, but really the, you know, the expression of it really hasn't, doesn't change. And that's what, that's what your, sort of your, your end goal is. is yeah, I think there's like a, um, there's like a, there's sort of an essence that underlies everything that you do and, and sort of, you know, to take this to a really simplified level, it's like, yeah, it's what Carl is saying. It's, it's you're going to be working on the fundamentals now. And when you reach enlightenment, right, when you reach this amazing state of amazing bagpipe playing and awesome stuff, you're still going to be working on those fundamentals. It's mm -hmm. just, you know, and I also think, and I know my, I, I know anyone who has actually looked at Zen seriously is going to want to shoot me, but I also think that <laughs> it's sort of pointing out that enlightenment is not a, an end point, right? It's right. sort of... Um, Enlightenment is perhaps the full embracing of, uh, you know, of the journey itself, or mm -hmm. or of, of this idea of always improving. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, you, know, you think about the idea of good music, you know, quote unquote. You know, that's, you know, if if you were if you have that in your head when you're learning all this bagpiping stuff and you're playing, you know, it doesn't really, you know, when you reach a point where you might be, you know, playing good music, it really doesn't change all that stuff. It does, you're still playing. You're st that's still your goal, and you're still playing it. And even when you get there, you're still doing it. You know, whatever all it, every all the things that go into that, like you said, all the fundamentals, all the all the you know, the things you might be thinking about to do it is is still the same. It hasn't well, changed. Well, it's about the journey more than anything else. And yeah. 
I mean, we should. I mean, Vin, you're a guy. You've reached bagpiping enlightenment. I mean, you are at like a, you are at a place. that's just like, you know, like so. What does that feel like to you? Like, like, uh, do you still have to chop wood and carry water? I still have to blow air into my bag and put it under my arm. You know, and it's and it's still the same for everybody. Cool. That's good to know. It's really an honor to hear you say that. Oh, Zen. <laughs> all right so andrea says uh i've been thinking recently about meaning and understanding for her in understanding is meaning before understanding she might just do things without knowing why the understanding the enlightenment infuses meaning to the things i was already doing it's kind of interesting and she's in no way saying that she's anywhere near understanding but uh, I think that's kind of interesting. So when you do things without knowing why, I think that's that's the real mm-hmm. negative. Yeah, know. I mean, you could yeah, you could interpret that 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 saying, you know, the chopping wooden carry one to be like more, um, you know, before enlightenment, you're just doing your whatever your instructor says, you know, you're just repeating, parroting, um, playing the way they tell you to play and what's expected of you to play and. Um, but after you reach that point where understanding sinks in and realize, you realize the whys and the, the wherefores and all of that stuff, you're really still doing the same stuff. <laughs> and it's still, yeah, it's, it's still about, you know. You can be enlightened and yet still not play perfectly. Mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely true. Hmm. You have an sure understanding of true. where it needs to go. Yeah, I think it's true. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, sure. there's a threshold for sure, but... Um, you know, the, the enlightenment is the, the understanding and the knowledge and the ability to, to improve on your own almost um, without the help of others. Unfortunately, the Dalai Lama was not able to attend today. So, um, <laughs> you know, so we'll have to check that with him and then get back to you. Uh, Ronald says, the amazing stage of enlightenment is not unlike Maslow's theory, uh, where the pinnacle of enlightenment once reached is extremely hard or actually impossible to hold on to. So, you know, I think... Well, I don't know about that. That's, well, the peak of Maslow's pyramid, right, is what? Actualization, right? I don't so, know. I've... Yeah. Friend, how do you know this stuff? <laughs> I am a repository. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> but, uh, I'm a little, little light on my Zen philosophers. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, but... You know, so but the, the idea of enlightenment really is not about holding on to anything. It's really it's like once you're there, it's really the same things. So, I mean, you know, you want to get sort of, you know, pick it apart. I mean, the, the whole idea of Zen awareness is really just a, so, sort of a hyper focus on, you know, the moment and what you're doing at any given time. That's how it's been defined yeah. by others. All right, um, this is getting too heavy so, duty for me, man. It's too heavy oh, yeah, duty. Man. This is supposed to be fun, and now we're like talking about some sort of pyramid and stuff. So um, Beth says, I'm nowhere near your level of performance. Well, it might be near mine, but definitely not Vin's. Uh, and, and I'm learning this lesson the hard way because I skimmed over real practice and my performance became sloppy. Right. I'm working now to focus on practicing fundamentals, then phrases of tunes. The basics are fundamental because they're essential to the, to the music. Uh, Beth, I think that's a great, uh, a great point. And um, focusing on the fundamentals is what leads to good performance. And there are no shortcuts you can take. And, and so often what happens is we become focused on the end result. For, here's a great example. 
you're a beginner and you join like a band, and the objective in the band is to learn the material so they can put you out on parade. Well, the end result becomes focused on simply getting to the point where they can throw you out on parade, but it, you know, and you so easily lose focus on the fundamentals, which are going to, with a little bit of patience and hard work, the fundamentals are not only going to put you on parade, but they're going to put you into a position where uh, you can you can surpass that. And I think that's the trap, right? The trap is to be focused on, on the on the right. you know short term and without focusing on on the long term. And yeah. to focus on the long term, all you have to do is embrace the journey. So, right. I mean, that's that that sort of relates to what we were talking about last week about goal setting and breaking it up into yeah. goals into pieces. You know, you know, learning a new MSR is is you know if you go to a different level. I mean, you could do that, but then. There's so much more <laughs> that you need to be worried about. You can you can definitely learn that MSR, but you know if the focus is on that sort of end goal, which is way broad and too big, really to to, to be of any use. You know you gotta um, you know you won't end up focusing on the fundamentals to play you know good music <laughs> when you're playing that MSR. That's true. All right, uh, you ready for a new Zen quote? Uh... Okay, here's an easy one. Then I'll give this one to you. Um, if you light a lamp for somebody, it will also brighten your own path. That's a good one. I got it. Uh, oh, ooh, Carl, <laughs> Carl, go ahead. Got it. Sure, go ahead, Carl. Um, I think that is an excellent illustration of... Um, when you go to help another person teaching uh, specifically, uh, often that's one of the best ways to improve your own playing is is uh, working on, on helping somebody else. And um, I mean, it boils down to being able to explain the fundamentals and just that the, the sheer fact of that is going to help you better understand that. Yeah, and that's play what better. I said too. Yeah. Yeah, if anything, I mean, this idea is the absolute backbone of what we're doing at Dojo U. I mean, the system that we've developed comes exactly from this idea, which is the more that I taught people, and, and Carl's been here for a while now too, and other other people like Maureen Connor have been involved, you know, the more uh, we teach people, the more we um, learn about, you know, the actual essence of what we're doing here. And um, over time, we've been able to boil it down to some very basic fundamentals, uh, which, which make it easier to learn. So... Uh, we got a couple of good questions here. Guest viewer two says, "What are your thoughts on how to increase focus stamina in a band? Trying to stay away from all those things bouncing around in your head." Hmm. Any thoughts? Everyone knows I have no focus stamina, so someone else is going to have to focus. <laughs> it's a tricky thing. I think that's, right. a, that's that's like it's like one of those things you you learn and develop a lot, like you know playing a good Kronluith or something. You know, it's, you just have to keep at it and build discipline and all of that. Um, you know, if people are, if you got, if you have a whole band full of these people, then I don't know, maybe you got to develop some sort of uh, tactic or uh, you know method to just make everybody pay attention. You know, um, I mean, personally, yeah. personally, I it's 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 not always easy, and I don't think there's anybody who's 100% focused during any playing session. You know, in, in a band, I think you know there's always that point where something distracts you for a brief moment or you know um and, it, and it's hard to do you know to stay focused like that um it's not easy yeah it's something uh, i i definitely struggle with um 
the, the grade five kids that I worked with, um, and, and you know they're they're kids, so it's harder to to get them to focus in the first place. But um, you know, I had one of them ask me once, you know, you know, I, I check out every time after the first tune. I just I can't focus after that. You know, how can I focus better? And Literally. it was a really kind of difficult question <laughs> to answer. It's like, uh, you gotta just kind of check back in. I mean, uh, it, it's hard. There, there's probably um, some exercises you could do. You'd have to ask a, a teacher, an early yeah. education teacher, about ways to to increase, you know, focus yeah, well, length. There's there's you know there's, there's, there's a lot of studies of getting everybody today. paying attention, you know, to the same thing, you know, and and especially yeah. in a classroom, you've got. Uh, different teachers have different ways of getting everybody focused to doing the same thing in, in, as a group, um, you know. And and I think and a lot of a lot of times in the past, and you still get it today, where a lot of pipe majors, you know, sort of demand that you're watching fingers, you know, watch my fingers, you know, or something like that. And uh, and I've heard some of the best players say that, you know, in their in their bands, like I'm watching the pipe majors, you know, watch the pipe majors' fingers. But it does more than just sort of, I mean, watching your fingers. You're just more or less trying to focus everybody, right? It just sort of gets everybody in the same place at the same time, you know, uh, in the moment. You know, I feel and, like that's and, also and a good attention. way to check you know? out. Uh, if you're too yeah, well, zoned it, in, it, it, and it's, I'm it's, certainly it's guilty it's, of that right? So it, it's going to depend a lot on person. Uh, and, um, yeah, it, it's mental discipline, I think, is what it boils down to. And uh, working on, on ways to, <laughs> That's my to discipline solution. yourself more, uh, be able to you know try to focus more on uh, a certain task for longer and set a stopwatch or something. Yeah. Uh, well, know, that, something. yeah, and I and I think it's it becomes practice too. I mean, I think if you're practicing focus along in yeah. you know with your other practice session, I think you develop think, that along with everything else. Right. You Part know, of the other thing so you, too, guest viewer too uh, wants to know about is. It's like not not so much about focus though, but it's also how do you how do you um, how do you manage what things to focus on, and decrease the distractions that exist. Like like you know, even in pipe bands like ours where we do have a very small um, thing like group of things that we're focusing on, uh, <clears throat> there still ends up being this giant laundry list of things that you're struggling to keep in your head and mm -hmm. manage them. How do you manage that? You know, like, how do you, uh, like, what do you focus on? What are the bare essentials? Um, stuff like that. Yeah. I, you know, for, for me, it becomes sort of a mental, it becomes mental gymnastics where I have to, there's, there's, a, there's a mental track that I have to find to, to stay, you know, to stay on, you know, to stay focused and be thinking about the right things or doing the right things. Um, the minute, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm like the kind of guy who can't chew gum and walk at the same time sometimes. You know, the minute I think of too many things, it's it. I'm I'm done. <laughs> you know, it's all going wrong. So it's a, uh, you know, I have to, I have to create tricks for myself to 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 stay on track. You know, and uh, and just yeah, it's, I mean, it really, it's just about developing the discipline to know when it's coming, when it's happening, when that distraction is going to hit, when that little thing in the back of your head is is, is creeping forward, and then just pushing it back. You know, and then just keeping on. Um, I think it, it's recognizing that too is important. I think that's uh, you have to be able to recognize your own thought process there. It's not just also, a bunch of you know stuff rolling around your head. You got to recognize it's you. It's your head. <laughs> so yeah. get a grip on it. You know. It also sort of touches on the um, thing that we talked about uh, several months ago about the unconscious competence. Um,
you know, the more things you can kind of put into that category, um, the less you have to focus on um, as you're making that run through that material. Uh, so uh, partially, it's it's just more practice on on the fundamentals and things that you so that way you can tuck them in the, away in your head and not have to focus on blowing yeah. good tone. For me, I can tell you, I can tell you, you know, this is a big thing for me. The number one thing is um, that I I know how to play to the beat. It's a fundamental that I've learned. And that is the number one thing I start with when I'm playing in an ensemble situation or when I'm playing in a group. So uh, where's the pipe major playing is in regards to the beat and, and how closely can I match that? So that's what I start with. And then I work out to, um, from there, once I can do that, it's, okay, what sort of nuances or expression or whatever are they, are they putting in or, or what's their style? Um, and, and so I try to adapt to that style. And that's pretty much it. So there's a process that, um, you know, and it's it, that's pretty much it. Okay. Well, there, it's definitely um, something difficult that you have to learn. But uh, having learned that, that's my routine. So no matter who I'm playing with, uh, whether it's someone whose style I'm totally familiar with, like a pipe major, or whether it's somebody new, like if I'm jamming out with somebody out of Kaylee, it's that same process that always applies. So, um, so I don't know. Food for thought. Uh, and that's definitely it. It's like, so what is the process of creating good music? How simple can you make it so that you, you don't have that many distractions? And then some, and then one day your pipe major says, Hey, Andrew, you got to work on that. You got to hold that note longer. It's okay. That's fine. I could do that and just implement it into my process. Or how does what was just said to me, um, apply to what I've been doing? And is there something I can learn from that? So, um, so that's good. Uh, let's take a yeah. break. I know, Carl, you've been working on a little project today that I was thinking maybe uh, you'd share with us. Yes, absolutely. So if any of you were tuned in for uh, my last week's uh, weapons training class, it was on shining pipes. And I told you I would didn't have all the tools that I, I kind of wanted. Um, and then I would get back to you. So it actually arrived in in the mail today. So I've been kind of playing around here. All right. Let's see if I can show you. So I've got um, a piece of Andrew's bagpipe because they are notoriously dirty, not very shiny. I just like to think full of them of as well, black well soot. Worn. They're well worn. Yeah. That's what they are. So if you can see here, uh, there's a lot of uh, built up, uh, uh, not, it's not dirt, um, oxidized. Douglas crud. Yeah. Tarnish. <laughs> Tarnish, thank you, here on it, on the piece. Um, and I could take some silver polish to it and a lot of elbow grease and make it better. It would work. But that takes a lot of time and effort and you don't get your whole pipes done. So what I did was I went out and I bought a polishing wheel. And I had to do some reading here. There are lots of different ty types and kinds and for different materials. Um, this is a soft flannel with a spiral uh, sewn uh, stitching pattern. Uh, and that's specifically for silver and gold. Um, any precious metal uh, that's rather soft. And the goal here is not to remove material, it's just uh, to 
finely polish. The next thing you need is Jewelers Rouge. Um, and it's, it's just a really fine compound which is used to, uh, you know, remove very microscopic amounts of material. Uh, and I have a drill. You could absolutely do this on um, a bench uh, buffer, which is probably the next route I'd go because this is a little slower. But this certainly works. Um, so let's see if I can give you a little demonstration here of how it works. You need a little bit of rouge on the wheel. Tip your camera down a little bit so we can see better. So I've just got a little bit of rouge here. And pick a particularly dirty spot. And I am applying a slight pressure here, but you don't want to do too much in one spot. Because uh, you could burn it, I guess. Kind of, it's not a burn, but well, it does get pretty hot probably after a while. Yeah. So you do have to apply the rouge fairly consistently. And I'm really working in that corner as best I can to get rid of the, the crud. All right, so just going to wipe it off a little bit. Um, it's certainly better. It's going to take some more work. But if you see all of this, the flat part is much shinier immediately. Um, it's harder to get to the corners. Um, and I may need a different, maybe a smaller wheel uh, to be able to get to get closer into the, the bead there. Um, but if you notice, the flat part is extremely shiny now. Um, and and my, my, my hunch here, uh, and I'm going to go through my pipes and, and, and use this, is that uh, through using the wheel, it, it does remove more material. So I wouldn't want to do it as often. Um, as just a regular shine, but uh, every year, six months, something like that, I may choose to do this because uh, it's going to get it more shiny and, and it, it buffs out any small um, scratches or anything like that um, and, and will enable me to, to polish with a, a cloth or, um, or you know, the goop quicker and, and to a higher sheen. Um, yeah. because I suspect, it's actually I suspect moving that the, 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 the sheen that you're putting on there will actually prevent tarnish for quite a while. Yeah. So I uh, think I think your you know one treatment might be all you need and for a good long for, while. Yeah, a good long while. I definitely agree. Um, so there you go. It's it's way shinier and, and I'm glad you can see that here. Um, it's it's kind of cool. So that's what I've been been up to. It showed up today. I've been kind of playing around with it a bit. Um, and Did you get that uh, on Amazon Prime? I did. I got it on Amazon. <laughs> oh, what a surprise. I think the dojo gets more packages from Carl's Amazon Prime account than we do for actual dojo stuff. Oh, it's, it's, That's it's only sickness, sort man. of true. Free shipping. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, Carl, uh, I noticed that I kind of scratched up the silver there. Uh, yes. How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, you got it stuck in your wooden blow stock and uh 
he decided yes. to take some vice grips to it without any protection. And <laughs> no, I had protection, but it, it went the they they busted through enough. and ended up they ended up oh. uh, scraping. It. Okay. Yeah. So much for <laughs> this my won't really. Yeah. yeah. It won't really take that out, um, though. If you did get a high enough, um, a different rouge, a, a more aggressive one, and a, and a different wheel. Um, you could probably buff more of that out, but that would require yeah. moving, removing a fair bit of the, the yeah, silver. There's, 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 the there's different are deep. grades of that, different yeah. grades of that stuff that uh, easily go onto the wheel, and they have different grade abrasives. Yeah. If you are going to do that, you need different wheels for each different grade, um, and especially. I remember once upon a time, I, I, I polished, I polished my the ivory on my old Hendersons like that. It was they were orange, you know, and I had, I'd taken. Um, fine emery and I actually took off a slight bit of the surface of the ivory uh, to to get back to the white and then yeah. polished it on a, on a wheel like that with the braces and they stayed shiny and white for forever they never discolored and I think it's a, what it is I think you, you, you create you know you, such a smooth surface that nothing can there's no oxidization you know oxidization or anything like that can, no, nothing can get in <laughs> anymore so yeah I, w what did you use to do that I mean uh, it was, it was what I've read, like I've been very you know, kind of careful oh, yeah, about that be because of the color. I used, yeah, um, I used a wheel just like that, um, and you know, and the same kind of, you know, I don't know, rouge. You call it rouge? I don't know what I called it. Back and then. it didn't stain the the the, the bones. I know it's a it's a porous material. No. You got to be kind of careful with that. Yeah, you got to be careful. You got to be gentle. You know, you got definitely got to be gentle. And, and it's um, and you can use different kinds. You can use different grade wheels as well. Mm -hmm. So you just you can go up finer and finer in on the abrasives and the. Uh, and the wheel, and you can get get it down. It's shining like like a gemstone, you know. Yeah, and, and, and that you and said that, was that's real that's ivory that you used. Yeah, that was on a bench wheel too, so you had yeah. a lot of more control to on pressure right. and things like that. So interesting. There you go. That's all I got, Andrew. <laughs> that's Carl's new toy. Yeah, been having fun with it. I don't know. I feel like maybe you're kind of encroaching on the pipe hacker territory, though. Like, Vin, are you feeling threatened? <laughs> no, no, that's, a, that's start, an easy. No, that's an easy. A block. <laughs> we'll call it, uh... That would require me to write more. It's not a good yeah, thing. No, not a good idea. Yeah, no, it would, be, it would be pipe hacker material if you actually created your own wheel and then bought the rouge and then stuck it on there. <laughs> oh, that's, that's what has to be. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave that to you. I'm not going to sit there and stitch flannel shirts together. i got better things to do. There you go. Oh, you give me ideas now. <laughs> it's flannel. That's all, right. all it is. It's a fine-grade flannel. So go for it. I think that's a 100-ply. So let me know how stitching 100 sheets old, together like, goes. Open the attic and get in those old shirts, man. Yeah, this is like a showdown. It's like a showdown. <laughs> All right, take it easy, guys. Take it easy. Um, let's um, answer this question. What is easier to maintain, nickel or silver? Nickel. Yeah, I don't think nickel. I think nickel really does it. Um, yeah, it, you can be a little more. It, the, the polishes are a little more aggressive. They work faster. Um, they last longer. Uh, if you use something like flits, I mean, I had a set of nickel pipes that I think I polished once every few months if that, uh, you know, six months, uh, and they were still extremely shiny. Um, I think nickel is way easier to maintain. Uh, then why doesn't, silver. why don't, why do people get silver on their pipes then instead of nickel? <laughs> yeah, it's easy to engrave, it's more question. precious, it costs more. Yeah. So just because it costs, looks better, it does look better when it's shiny. 
Um, you get a you get a more more refracted light off the silver than you do a nickel. So yeah. I guess it's it's and it's more it's like it's the precious metal thing and it just increases uh, I don't know personal value. It's like why you get jewelry made out of silver and not you know steel. <laughs> Yeah. What about the new um what about the new McCallum nickel uh or not uh, the McCallum alloy aluminum. that they're using? Is it aluminum or something or some sort yeah, of Yeah, it's like, it's uh... a aluminum alloy of some sort um that they just super polish, which is great. And the the nice part about aluminum is that uh it does oxidize, um uh, but it oxidizes a very light gray color, so it's hard to tell the difference. Uh, between aluminum that's um, that's that doesn't have that yeah. oxidized layer. I think that's and, a function that of cost, myself actually, yeah. in, in the metals. You know, you, you, we need a shiny silver that we can polish. You know, to a reflective sheen, and something that's not going to cost. <laughs> you know, increase the cost of the pipes yeah. fifty percent. I'm sure it was cost, you know? but uh, I, it, it is a better product, I think, than the nickel because it doesn't uh, tarnish nearly as easily. Um, yeah. It is softer though, so you know uh, a lot of the function behind yeah, the, the ferrules easier, and, right? and the caps, um, you know, was to kind of keep the wood from from checking or or cracking or anything up the mm -hmm. end grain because that's kind of the weakest. And aluminum's not going to do that; uh, it's too soft. So right, right. you know, there there is a trade-off there. Is it a big trade-off? No. Yeah, Ronald says oxidized aluminum is very hard to remove. Yes. Depends on how bad you let it get, I guess. <laughs> Especially with those. I mean, but I'm sure there's some sort of mix. There's an alloy that doesn't really may not. You're not going to get the little white powdery buildups on the ferrules, I don't think. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that. I've seen some old sets. They do lose the sheen a bit, um, but they, they come back pretty quickly. And it's not like your aluminum pipe uh, that gets that white color. Um. Mm -hmm. could, I don't know. I'm curious. You'd have to sit down with a metallurgist and yeah, see what. When you, see, when you see that guy marching in the parade with his oxidized aluminum mounts, you'll know how long it's been since he played. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think he makes a good point too that there's a lot to be said for pride of ownership as well, and yeah. silver That's is a sort of is a material that you know um, can have meaning especially if you get it engraved or personalized I mean it's pretty cool mm -hmm. um, but uh, so that's good all right um, what do you think about another Zen quote I found a good one you found a good one shoot yeah. all right if now you come back you... on and decrease the size of my video yeah. all right that you have a deal all right um, all right, Vin, since you dropped the ball last time, you get this one. Um, <laughs> the tighter you squeeze, the less you have. Is that his end quote, really? Mm -hmm. <laughs> hmm. I would say that's the more you hold on to your preconceived ideas about your own playing, the less progress and quality you're going to produce. That would be my take. Here's the literal one. The harder you squeeze, the less is yeah. gonna come out. Yeah, well, yeah, you can go, yeah, go right down, get, go right down to the, uh, get going right down to the nuts and bolts, right? Yeah. You know, um, you know the harder you're squeezing that channel, the less, the less playing is gonna happen, right? Yeah. Um, I always take these things as mental. 
but uh, yeah, it could be physical. No, as that's well, absolutely. Right? I, I, that's what it's targeted towards. But uh, yeah. yeah, I think I like. I, mean, uh, only, you... I like both interpretations. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, it works well. Very, even in the very real world sense, right? Like, uh, if you grip the chatter too tight. You're not going to be able to get the finger clarity that, no, that right. you want to get. Oh, yeah. And, the, and, the and it has, it has mental and metaphorical con, you know, uh, corollaries, right? I mean, you can th think of it as, uh, you know, the only way you're going to really, you know, move forward in anything or expand, say, your knowledge is by relinquishing control of your own sort of grip on, on what, you, what you know or what you think you know, I think. I think there's a difference between grip and control, though, you know? It's like yeah. I, I think you, uh, I, I think, I think you got to be careful not to, not to equate the two because sometimes, yeah, like a, mm. a lighter grip, it increases the degree of control. True. True enough. Uh, yeah. it, it, metaphorically and and uh, physically, yeah. right? And physically, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and Andrea says it's along the lines of if you love something, let it go. Sort of. Everything yeah. I've ever let go is disappeared <laughs> for the most part <laughs> yeah that the, the, the more yeah, you well, stick to right, your guns well yeah and yeah. And, and you're you know not willing to, to accept any sort of input you know the less yeah. the more you're going to be pushed to the wayside the less you're going to yeah, the, the, the tighter grip the, has a, has a tendency of, of keeping things out as well as keeping yeah. things close right you know you don't necessarily let anything in or you know right change in any way if you're sort of got this grip on it mentally physically whatever you know um, absolutely things have to breathe and, uh, and and grow and change you know you can still deep man yeah. I feel like I feel like all these zen quotes are more or less the same they're all they're all digging at the same thing uh, now you now you now you're thinking on the right track there Carl yeah <laughs> he's, he's your that one more step closer to enlightenment Oh, good. <laughs> well, I, you know, I would I would bring in since all this talk of Zen, it's like I I, on, on the, I wrote I wrote a post I reviewed uh, a documentary called Jiro Dreams of Sushi, which I put up on on Pipe Hacker, and it it is all of that, all of the things that we talked about, you know, in in all ways. The guys, this uh, Japanese sushi chef has a little ten seat restaurant in Tokyo, in the subway, and he's got three Michelin stars, which is impossible to get. So, it's all about how to be a master. Yeah, um, and all the things we talked about—you know, you know, hard work, focus, all of it. Does it talk at all about uh, expanding or not expanding? Yeah, like well, yeah, he talks about you know ideas he gets in dreams, and you know, always changing, always growing, always trying new things, and 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 always striving for that you know that perfect. You know, it's not so much perfection; it's just that you know, there's just an uncompromising view of work. Really. Now, does he, but does he mention at all? You know, wanting to expand his his restaurant or business oh, no. or size or oh, anything? No, no, no. Then, see, I and, think there's a key there. It's good. <laughs> right. It wouldn't be as good. Um, you know, you yeah. see this in the restaurant world all all the time. Is you know, you you get this great little small place, and they get these ambitions, and it gets bigger, and it's not nearly as good. Oh yeah. I think the same yeah. can be. And he's got, found he's in eighty Piper. something years old or something like that. This guy, and uh, you know, he 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 won't retire, and his son is in his fifties now, and he's. Uh, he keeps hoping that he'll take over one day, but his father still is <laughs> making sushi and yelling at apprentices and things. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, hey, so yeah, last week at the end of the show, you and Carl were talking about um, solo competition, and you touched on some of the ideas to make it more interesting and challenging. Um, yeah, yeah. And I guess you guys wanted to maybe uh, expand on that a little bit, and we have a few minutes. Should we? Yeah. Maybe I think we grew out of a discussion of like uh, motivations for success and motivations for goals and things like that, and we started talking about competition and how the the you know the our current Eastern point system in terms of rankings and things like that isn't a very fair or accurate reflection of progress or you know motivation for your own playing. Um, right. We start talking about you know different different things that that might be uh, possible to shake it up and really make it more interesting and more motivating, really. Um, you know, I think, I don't know, Carl, was talking, you, you talked about some sort of uh, idea of having, like, sort of, you know, different circuits or leagues or something like that that would right. build on sort of a, a, a way for maybe professional pipers or high-level amateur pipers to really get out more. Because we started, I think, yeah. as we were talking about, like, the lack of, uh, you know, Lack of competition at the professional really, level. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So... And just developing that kind of that kind of culture. What are your yeah, thoughts? I'm not, Andy? I'm not really sure. There's there's a lot of ways to go about it. I mean, whether you do it officially yeah. or unofficially. Um, you know, I I bring up, you know, uh, Loon Mountain competition, a New Hampshire Highland Games for last weekend, and yeah. they, there were 19 people in the grade one, the solos in the grade one, and they all showed up. And, yeah. and what about uh, professional? Unprecedented. And the professional had maybe I think eight. I want to say. Yeah, and that's one of the bigger ones, but that's yeah. still small considering. A bunch of can, you know, a handful of Canadians was uh, Ottawa Police was there, Rob Roy came down, so there was a fair fair bit of uh, number of Canadians in the, in the mix there. But um, in the grade one, there was maybe four, five maybe, which still puts it at you know, 15 soloists that were, uh, you know, from the U.S. come to play. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and part of it I think it was because that um, the overall winner gets invited to the Nickel Brown competition, which is in a couple of weeks. Right. And um, you know the Nickel Brown is an invitation comp- invitation only competition. I think is uh, usually restricted to people who finish the top of their rankings and their respective associations. I think, uh, and uh, and then this was an opportunity. This game is an opportunity to sort of you know bypass that and right. sort of prove your metal, I guess. Uh, but it attracted the players. You know how about that? That one little thing, you know, that one little uh, motivator brought people all the way up to New Hampshire uh, to play. Um, and it's just a guess. I mean, I didn't really talk to, to many people to figure out that, that was the case, but uh, I, th- I think it was. You know, 19 players in any grade nice is a big competition, but at the grade one know level, it's that's, be that's unheard of. Yeah, it's unheard yeah, of. I mean, I mean, at the most, you can get 10 players, you know, at a good big games here in the U.S., but 19, yeah, I think, that's, that's... I think the appeal, I, I agree, but I think the appeal mainly at Loon is that you just know there's going to be a good solid competition yeah. there's just going to be a lot yeah. of people yeah. there and, and I, you know that's it that's my goal is you know I want to go out and play good music you know against other people that mm-hmm. it's not fun to to you know play in a in a group of two or three mm-hmm. it's like it's not it's right. almost it's meaningless exactly right. It, it's, um, and it takes a lot of effort to do these, even if there's right. only two people in your crate. You know, you still got to drive several hours and stay overnight, maybe, and you know, lug your gear out, spend money, and all of that stuff. Um, you so know, it's so nice to have that while big... is sometimes a more satisfying experience, no matter what the result. You know, um, you, at least you go in there, you know, you're in in some a bigger mix of things. You know? Right. Um, so you know, th- th- I mean, that that for me, that's like a way of expanding interest in a way that, that I think is untapped 
you know, I think that kind of relationship between big contests or even creating contests that would relate in that way to the regular circuit. You know, you create opportunities based on, say, you know, performance at key events or something right. that would qualify you for something later. Um, and you can create that. I think the RSPBA does a great job with their majors for the bands. You know, mm -hmm. there's tons of RSPBA contests, but then there are several highlighted ones. Uh, and then everyone goes to those, and their result, you know, uh, it contributes toward the champion of champions, which is, you know, a coveted prize and mm -hmm. all grades, which is great. Yeah, the and USPDA, it gets the bands out to these events, you know. In the USPBA, we struggled because it's so hard, you know. Like um, I, I often use the example of Jimmy Bell, who who lives um, in Arkansas, and I live in New York, and. Uh, for the two of us to compete regularly against each other is just logistically not possible. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it's really hard to figure out a solution where, uh, you know, where you could have a quote-unquote fair circuit or something like that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Whereas if you go to British, uh, British Columbia, all of their contests are um, close enough together that they do have a really exciting circuit. And, mm -hmm. and by si Seattle every year, there's usually a few showdowns that are going on, and the result really counts. Right. And, and then people win their their um, grand aggregate, as they call it. Uh, yeah. Which is. Yeah. Um, which is I, you know, I it's, feel like it's really champion a... supreme in the USPBA. It's not representative necessarily of how big you are. In some cases, mm -hmm. it is. But you know, um, sometimes it's the people who are most enthusiastic who win that, not mm -hmm. who are the best. Exactly. Or people who just have more time on their hands, <laughs> you know, to get out more. Yeah. Um, it might and happen money. to be conveniently located, you know, within an hour's drive of a good, you know, 10 different events, you know. Um, you know, you can, if you could look at it regionally, there's a lot, there's a definite concentration of events in certain areas over others. Um, and if you happen to be in that area, you, it's all the better for you. You know, you don't have to, it's not such a big deal to get there and yeah. play, you know. Uh, so this is just like sort of these, you know, geographical and sort of practical considerations that uh, that sort of drive someone's success, you know. So you can end up at the top of the league, but not necessarily because you played better, but because, you know, you were able to, you, you had a better personal situation location-wise, you know. Mm -hmm. So you win the location prize, not the playing prize <laughs> or something. You know? uh, but that's, you know, I don't want, and I don't want to sell anybody short for actually being at the top of the, the standings there. I mean, still you still no, have to no, score well. You know, yeah, you still have to score well in these games to really get there. So, but you know, when everybody can do that, then 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 it becomes these sort of finer points that determine you know and success over someone else. Would motivate you to to practice harder and play more. And I think that's the the key there is that when you have that that atmosphere, um, it 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 motivates players and makes better players. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's it, it would be it, it would be nice. If you know the competition scene wasn't such a grind, right? If it was, if you had these opportunities to to play in more higher level contests or more prestigious contests, or had events that were created that um, required you to do a certain level of activity, then uh, suddenly, you know, you might, um, I don't know, you, you, it just, it just is, it just, uh, it creates a better, better mood for yourself. That you know, more motivation, more. Uh, um, you know, and it wouldn't be such a grind. You know, it wouldn't be yeah. work or, you know, because if you look at every contest, it's all the same and it's all the same judges and it's all the same 
I don't know. And you, the, the difference has just become in the setup on games day, you know. Um, but that's a. But it's so it's like it's just sort of a, you just sort of move through the season the season that way. But if these things had more significance in some way, you know, and they would be exactly the same, just just their meaning changes, you know, their significance right. overall in the grand scheme of things changes. I'm with you 100% on that. I think that's that's the direction we need to go. The question is, you know, how we're going to get there, and you know, uh, I think that's interesting. And listen, yeah. guys, we got to wrap it up here because uh, yeah. we're at 101. But uh, oh, we we'll be on next week and. We forgot to post last week's podcast, but I did it this morning, finally. So uh, it's up there now, and we'll post this one here right after the show. And, um, you know, so you can subscribe to us on iTunes. So even if you miss it live, you can listen to us later. Um, and uh, I got my new iPhone, so. Um, oh, look at you. Yeah, so I, uh, <laughs> I'm subscribed now to my own podcast. Very self-serving. <laughs> it's exciting. So um, that's uh, I think that's it. We don't really have any exit music today, but uh, next week we'll have more music going on. So uh, I think we'll call it in there, shall we? All right. Yeah. Enjoy your Take day. Take care, everybody. Am I done with the key?